0: You build something digital that runs on code or media and can be served up infinitely at zero cost of replication to you. Something like a SaaS product or an information product, you build it once and you can sell it to 100, 1,000, 10,000, 100,000 people. The bulk of the value is created once and then just becomes a game of how effective are you at spreading that story and reaching people that need the thing that you've built
1: in this episode i talked to jack butcher jack has a really interesting visual style where he's taking these complex concepts It could be leverage it could be uh this idea of build once sell twice that i'm super jealous of by the way uh, how he framed that um any of these things he takes them and he distills them down to these graphics a black background White text, white line drawings, slightly pixelated looking. It's a very distinct style, and he's used it to build a massive following, well over 100,000 followers on social media. He's built his email list. He's doing fantastic revenue from courses. And so we dive in on what it takes to be unique, how a lot of marketing Twitter, you know, the marketers talking about marketing is repetitive. A lot of people don't have a unique angle on it. And so how he makes unique content that's more interesting and engaging and stands out um how constraints really drive that talk about a lot of other things exactly how he makes money uh the monetization that's the same thing i just repeated myself uh anyway there's a lot of great stuff who inspires him so much more jack's someone that i've wanted to have on the show since i started it and so i'm very excited to talk to jack let's dive in jack thanks for talking with me today thank you for having me man i appreciate it so I feel like so many people on the internet are, especially in the content marketing um, audience growth space, are doing the exact same thing as other people. You know, it's just like, it's a similar playbook. Everyone's going over it repeatedly. The amazing thing is that it still works. You don't actually have to innovate that much to make like a hundred grand a year or more on the internet, Mm -hmm. which is mind blowing. But then you come out and you actually have like a really unique visual style you're doing something different instead of just like another random tweet thread or like summarizing the same quotes that everyone else is doing. It feels mm. like you're doing something unique. And in, you know, this, um, in these little graphics, you're explaining these same concepts that everyone else has talked about, but in a really condensed format. And so I'm curious, well, one, let's just start with where that came from. And then I want to get into like what you think other people should do to differentiate and not be the same, like, You know, just copying everybody else.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, so very quick background. I studied design at school. Graduated in 2010. That was in the UK. I moved to New York and started working agency jobs in basically every different capacity. So, design, art direction, creative direction. Uh, Worked for small boutique agencies that would build like. Um, small brands to big global behemoths that work on like multinational billion dollar brand campaigns. And one of the skills, that, one of the skills I built up, I think across all of those experiences was working on pitch decks. So what all of these different ad agencies have in common is you have to tell compelling stories to get the opportunity to work on a project. But the pitch deck is kind of the, um, it's the grunt work in the agency, right? Nobody wants to be the last one in working on the pitch deck, waiting for everybody's emails to say, include this, include this, include that. Um, So early in my career, I sort of got stuck with that by default, but for whatever reason, um, got quite into it and quite uh, enjoyed the process of distilling all of these, you know, different people's ideas that would come at you from all different parts of an agency or trying to convey something to a a business, basically tell their story back to them in a more compelling way than they've ever heard it told. And that's essentially what gets you the opportunity to work on these projects. So yeah, a lot of late nights working on pitch decks was the, um, I think the eventual catalyst for Visualize Value as a style, I went through a ton mm-hmm. of iterations to get there, worked at agencies for eight years, started my own agency, and then slowly narrowed down the type of work I was doing as an agency to that really um, specific aesthetic and that very specific deliverable. So before Visualize Value was a media company, it was uh, a very a highly specialized service business agency.
1: Mm-hmm. So were you creating, like in those pitch decks, were you creating um, graphics to distill these concepts down rather than using, you know, words or like, I've, I've seen a lot of agency pitch decks over the years. Yeah, yeah. and Most of them are a decent amount of words with like, you know, someone went on the agency version of Pinterest and like made right, like right. a mood board or something to go yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Your style is very different from that.
0: Yeah, so I I tried to, I tried to differentiate because you know what you're going to be up against with all the other agencies. You are going to be up against the bulleted lists and the Pinterest mood boards and things of that nature. So, what fascinated me and I think was a, a an edge in some of those environments were um, how can we visualize the either the opportunity. So some of the like some of the things came from understanding like where a brand was positioned in a market and how to visualize that for them. Like here's you know here's where your position relative to compared to X or this, or here's like a way to visually contextualize where your product is or who would buy your product. Um, mm-hmm. And that that idea of translating those things that other agencies would show up with as like five paragraphs into one illustration is really the, I think the moment that you're trying to create is, ah, the this agency or this person really understands us and they can quickly summarize what we're about because that's what essentially what you're pitching them as a service so the first opportunity right. you get to demonstrate that you can do that is in the pitch deck and the irony is that you don't, you don't get paid for that piece that's the thing that you do on spec and you compete for and you spend agencies spend tons of money putting together pitch decks that end up going nowhere but um and that's another reason why i think you have an opportunity to knock it out the park too is because there's a you know a lot of people phone it in so um right yeah that's working on that process and and just having to i think the other piece of it is having to stand in front of a room of people and to and walk through these things like i'm I was at that point in my career, like so nervous about telling the story correctly that I just wanted it to be so bulletproof that I would go over and over and over and over it and uh, refine it to where I felt completely confident explaining it. And the longer you talk, the less confident you sound. So I was just trying to distill it down as much as possible.
1: Yeah. So did you notice like those pitch decks really working? Did you get credit for winning those those deals and all that.
0: Yeah, I I would say um there's definitely a hierarchical structure in agencies where you <laughs> you don't necessarily take the full credit for winning the business, but you're the person who gets asked to work on the next pitch deck as right. a result, right? So my role went from working on the the business after it had been won to just being sort of like on the pitch circuit like you know myself and a couple of friends are strategists and writers you'd have this team of people that consistently can come in and take uh you know take a um take a story and turn it into something super compelling and then fly somewhere present it win the work and then you go on to another pitch and that's a whole another conversation about why agency businesses are um, at that scale, are difficult because the people who are great at pitching are rarely the people who fulfill the work after the fact. Right. Because it's the ROI on them pitching is so much higher.
1: Yeah, I mean, at this point, you've become like the best sales asset that they have, and mm-hmm. so it's like, of course, we're going to have you work on implementing it rather than, or sorry, on uh, on pitching rather than implementing. Which then gets into a problem because you've demonstrated like you understand
0: the customer's problem better than
1: anyone else and you're not even the one working on that's
0: that's the that's the game it's it's incredibly frustrating but it's also just like that human incentive behavior thing playing out perfectly
1: right so what were the like um your style now you know is these black images with um you know light text and just really simple line illustrations and all of that what were some of the early iterations of that like what
0: did it, what did it go through to turn into that style? Certainly more complex at times. So when when you would do it for a brand, you would take their color palette, their aesthetic, their um, you know, their typeface, whatever typeface they're using, and um, there was still the el- There were still these like, um, I guess, diagrammatic elements were consistent. So it's gotten over the last maybe two or three years, it's less reliant on style and more reliant on substance. So if I look back at something from Mm -hmm. two years ago, it may have looked pretty, but there's no like underlying logic to it, or there's less underlying logic to it. So I think um, just making that shift from relying on these like stylistic decisions is huge too, where if you can choose a set of constraints, it becomes more about communicating the idea than Picking the color, making the typeface look interesting, like composition, all of those things. So um ending up there, one for like function. So you you show up and you're not spending two or three iterations of the thing just working on um stylistic decisions, but also the equity that you can build by showing up with the same aesthetic every day, right? It's like after you've done it a hundred times, people don't even need to read the name above it. They know where it's coming from in the same way that a lot of established brands have, you know, you could recognize a Delta ad on the side of a bus based on the typeface and the photography and the color scheme all that kind of stuff. So that's another holdover of what I learned in the agency world is you can never, you can never be too repetitive visually. I have a friend who's got this great quote said great advertising wears in, not out. Yep. And I think a lot of people, especially creative people, don't like you abandon something before it gets recognizable.
1: Yeah, so that's interesting. I'm a huge fan of constraints. I feel like, you, you know, well, you and I have similar backgrounds in that we're both designers turned uh, audience builders, marketers. I don't know what you want to, whatever internet, you call it. Internet
0: now. people, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, but
1: I've always leaned on constraints. I just think that's so interesting that you've been able to distill it down to something so unique because of the constraint, right? So many people would be like, let me find 10 different visual ways to explain this concept of build once, sell twice. Mm-hmm. And you're mm-hmm. like, no, I'm just going to represent it in the exact same typeface and all of that. Because after I do some version of this a hundred times, like then people will immediately recognize it. Um, yeah. that's That's fascinating. What do you think... Going back to the question about um, people being unique online, like what are the things that you wish people did more of, or how should creators think about these things differently when they're showing mm-hmm. up and, and teaching concepts or um, any of that to actually be unique, rather than you know copying what's what's so common.
0: Just our will preface this or a disclaimer for everything I say is going to be consistent with my experience, but I think the starting out with the service element is a really important piece of it. So being able to transition something that you delivered as a service and you know, has, um, you know, has been implemented with results in a business. Like when I started working on visualized value as a service specifically, I was building pitch decks for like the most boring businesses you can imagine, like supply chain, uh, logistics for PL companies. So I spend hours on the phone trying to understand the supply chain industry and then build these like simplified um set of visuals that represented what made that company unique, for example. And then when you see that work, you're like, okay, this is a this is a thing that I know I will never ever run out of opportunity doing. Because there's a, there's, you know, millions of businesses that can not explain what they do as well as they could be um so knowing that i think gives you a a level of conviction where all you're doing is just becoming a magnet for people who need that so you don't need to you don't need to keep switching up or you don't need to keep emulating audience building tactics of other people you're you're building from the asset as opposed to like being one step removed from that, I think it's a, and that's an easier transition to make because you you don't need the scale initially to live off it, if that makes sense. So the with an audience of five hundred people of you know people I went to school with and common connection or, or like uh, mutual connections or one degree separation, I could win like one piece of client work a month by just posting portfolio work and get introductions and then knowing that that deliverable has value, just build the brand around the, um, the philosophy of that service or the philosophy of that, um, that thing that you're building for a client. And then your audience aligns behind that, as opposed to aligning behind you for, some miscellaneous approach to content and then you have to reverse engineer a way to monetize that uh relationship or that that um that group of people you don't even really know what they have in common or what they're uh what they're interested in right so among the people who follow visualized value you can kind of you could think about them in fairly specific ways they're people who either want to learn the skill like i wish i could communicate concisely with design so there's obviously a very specific way that you can help people learn that or they're business owners that want to hire you for your services or there are people that just want to consume knowledge in a Mm -hmm. more concise way um but it's all the foundation of it is the uh, is the the craft i suppose you could call it and i think it's hard to It just it feels like a a different game you're playing when you're just constantly trying to create content for content's sake and then marry that back to something. And what you end up building is like how to build a Twitter audience or, um, you know, some generic how to get attention product. But then there's no underlying like, okay, but why? Uh, So I would and it's a brutal process to go through the service business route and you have a design background. So you've done that, too. But it's such a solid foundation, in my opinion, that you can always um, you can always lean back on. So I think designers have a bias for this, because this is how we've been hired over the years, is you build a portfolio. No one really cares about your like, degree or even the agencies that you've worked at. All they want to see is like, what projects have you done and what, what are you capable of as a designer? how like what's your taste level like what tools can you use and uh that i think just creates a bias for publishing proof of work that is is like one step removed from like just purely um the, the only motivation is to get people to like and follow a an account so it's it's a little esoteric but hopefully that that Makes sense.
1: Well, I think what I hear in that is th- this idea of show your work, right? Designers know that inherently. And then, other, I think, in, coming from other industries, you're like, why don't people trust me already? Or that kind of thing. Like, look at the credentials that I have. And designers are like, credentials. Like, right. the only thing that matters is your portfolio. And people are like, yeah, but I went to Yale or something. And they're like, you know, and so designers know you have to show the work, you have to show the progress. And I think more industries that adopt that, the more success that they're going to have.
0: Yeah, and I think the parallel to that is this like build in public idea. The um, but there there are degrees of build in public, right? The the there's like the marketing side of it and the product side of it, and some content just feels like all marketing without the uh, you know, without this underlying thesis or this. product that's being built so it could be software could be like um could be software could be an information product but there there's two different layers the audience building things just become a byproduct of marketers marketing marketing right it's a it's a rabbit hole that that goes pretty deep yes yeah there there's a lot of
1: a lot of that um, we'll go with rabbit hole instead of circle jerk, but. Um, yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> rabbit <holes. laughs> do that. Uh So you have this phrase. Well, I feel like your entire business, you're using design, but is taking, con. Uh, let's see, like complicated concepts and distilling them down to something really, really concise um, and specific. So you have this phrase that I'm actually intensely jealous of because I wish I came up with it because it's trying to explain concepts that I've used like, you know, a thousand words to explain in detail. Uh-huh. Um, and that's build once, sell twice. Can you explain uh, for everyone listening what that means?
0: Yeah. So, my background is advertising. So, I was in the time and materials business for so long. Someone hires you, and at the end of the job, or you make an estimate of how long it's going to take you, you write an invoice, and then you hope that it's going to take you less time than what you estimated, as opposed to. A product business which is way more common in technology where you build something and well you build something digital that has that runs on code or media and can be served up infinitely at zero cost of replication to you but can capture value as you know as you reach more people so something like a SaaS product or an information product you Build it once, you modify it, and you can sell it to a 1, thousand, a hundred, a 1, thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand people. Um, there are incremental costs of you know your payment processes and hosting and things of that nature, but the the bulk of the value is created once, and then just it becomes a game of how effective are you at spreading that story and um, reaching people that need the thing that you've built. So. Yeah, trying to distill that down into a single phrase has been, yeah, has been instrumental in being able to do the thing too. So uh, that's, uh, I think, a, like a little layered lesson that I've learned in um, building something, building a product is obviously a huge part of that equation, but also finding a very concise way to talk about that product is is the other half of that equation so you know write something once and then publish it a thousand times is the same idea and you can use that as a propellant for the thing that you've built um and now we're in this era of the like full stack creator where you can build the thing market the thing like perform customer service for the thing from one laptop from anywhere
1: yeah, it's it's probably the single most important concept for someone on the internet to understand. Because, um, like, in the same way that if a hundred people sign up for ConvertKit today, or a thousand people sign up, it it doesn't matter. Like, we we yep. built the thing; we can sell it as many times as we want. Within you know, if like a million people sign up today, right. we'd have a few issues, yeah, you know. Yeah. But like, within a reasonable distribution, same thing for you know, one of your courses, like one person, 50 people, a thousand people. It doesn't really matter because marginal. uh, Yeah, exactly. Um, Which is both amazing and can be painful because you, it often, like a part that people miss is that the build once when you are building it for an eye to sell it, you know, twice or a thousand times or more, is actually more work. Like yep. you, you, it's a lot more work to build rather than if I'm just like, oh, Jack, you're my client. I'm going to build this once for you. Like I can get away with a lot of things. Uh, and not get away with it is even the wrong term, right? I can simplify. It. I can. I'm just building it for you. Yeah, I know yeah. who you are. I know who my client is. But when I'm building it to sell, uh, you know, an infinite number of times, then I have an infinite number of circumstances uh, that it could be perceived in. So. Yeah. Maybe talk about the difference between building something once to be sold once versus building it to be sold many times.
0: Yeah. I think you're right in that you have to anticipate a lot more. So if, if the thing you build doesn't work without you, then it doesn't work right in a one-on-one relationship with a client, you can get on the phone and you could sort of call an audible or if you, um, if you, you know, you can wait until the last minute to fulfill this piece of the thing. And that, that transaction is totally different, right? It's the pitch, the sale, and then the work starts versus you build the thing. And then once you're like, the sale is basically the last part of the process as opposed, as opposed right. to the first part of the process. So, um, what I think going through that process does though, is really helps you Identify or it helps you build the story to tell people what the thing is, and that's that was the really frustrating thing for me about an agency business was like, what are we? What do we do? Like, we're a creative agency, we can solve any problem creatively, right? If you're a car company, if you're a like a prenatal vitamin company, as another old client of mine, uh, like finance, anything, fashion, and you end up saying like, yeah, we can help you with your marketing, we can write emails, we can build websites, we can do um we could do all these different things. And until you're, I think, a, a citizen of the internet, which I wasn't until two or three years ago, you really it's very difficult to grasp the opportunity that exists in a in a very narrow wedge. Right. You if you're if you're great at one very specific thing, and you find a way to get that message out to the world on the internet, It's very unlikely that you'll run out of opportunity versus you have this really generic message. You don't get, you also don't get the compounding benefit of working on the same problem over and over again. So I have friends who run agencies that are incredibly talented, but instead of building products, they just hop from job to job and there's no like, there's no, they're not earning equity in, in a specialty or against a niche, for example. Like ConvertKit is, um, is a good example of some talented agencies would, spe- would build like 80% of ConvertKit, for example, and then move on to another job. And to me, right. that's just bananas, right? They've just abandoned all of this equity and energy that they've invested and now they'll go and work on like, I don't know, a real estate platform or something else. Um, not to say that the job is done when they're finished as an agency, it's only just beginning, but it's a, there are obviously pros to that business where you don't have all your eggs in one basket. And I think that's what keeps a lot of people in that world because it, it feels less risky to um, to sort of diversify. But in the age of the internet, that diversification is Oftentimes unnecessary, but also um, can just cost you a lot of opportunity in the long run, not making a decision to to own one thing or get really great at one thing.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because as people create this work that they just throw away and they think about like, oh, I don't want to be pigeonholed. I don't want to be the agency that only works with real estate clients or I don't want to be, you know, put in this box like I'm an artist you know, or whatever thing. And what that means is that you are creating from scratch every single time. Um, And then maybe eventually it'll loop around to, you have a similar, you know, you have that second real estate client or, you know, something like that. And you're like, Oh, I get to borrow some learnings. And really when we choose this niche and focus in, then you're, you're borrowing those learnings every single time. Um, And it really, and I mean, that's where things start to compound. Um, Yeah. And otherwise without that, you don't have anything compounding.
0: Yeah. And it's hard. like, I think creative people, you, you said it, it's like, I don't want to pigeonhole myself. I don't want to, um, I don't want to be working on the same thing every day. And I used to, I used to, that used to be one of my lines I would use in interviews. It's like, why do I like working at agencies? Cause you have a different challenge, a different problem, a different industry every day. But at a certain point, it's like, I'm not really like hyper competent at anything across all this stuff. And that's, you know, that was getting frustrating at a certain point, and then I this one realization I had, someone told me this, years ago, was like identifying the feeling that you enjoy versus the um, versus like the tangible application of your skills. so it's a slight shift in um, slight shift in perspective in that. Um, Visualized value is just this vehicle for me to become a better designer and and help me um, help me better translate difficult concepts into visuals. And all of the constraints that I've placed on it actually help me get to that feeling faster. And that's a hard thing to identify, but once you get to that, like then you start to take advantage of the compounding stuff. Because you can solve a lot of different problems if you You know, building ConvertKit, for example, like no two days are the same, I imagine, because you have this compounding um, asset to work on. So you can go in and tweak something and then that thing delivers a benefit months, years into the future. You don't need to go back and visit until it breaks or until there's a better way to do it. Um, And it's easy to confuse. It's easy to confuse working on one thing with, not having new problems to solve but i think the opposite is actually true because you're solving problems in code and making things that fix the problem that you can move on from you're constantly getting exposure to uh new types of problems and new ways to solve them um that's really the yeah the what focus affords you in the long run is um And, and obviously the build once sell twice mentality and focus is, uh, always exposing you to new problems and, uh, letting you build equity as opposed to just trading your time constantly to work on different problems.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to dive into your business a little bit. You're very transparent with numbers. Um, and I want to like kind of understand the flywheel of, you know, Jack Butcher, um, Mm -hmm. Maybe share some numbers initially and, uh, you know, on um, social following and, and email list and then getting into revenue. And then I'd love to hear kind of that arc of how, how each thing feeds into the next.
0: So social is at, I would say around visualized value specifically is about 450,000 followers, Instagram mm-hmm. and Twitter. My personal Twitter is about and twenty five thousand and email is actually one of our smallest audiences, so it's probably about twenty thousand email subscribers okay um, and this is a real focus of this year is is dialing in email. I could go into it but I've got Twitter accounts banned a few months ago, but um the flywheel like the on the product side we have. Um, the education products: how to visualize value and build once, sell twice. Um, some smaller products we have a planner, um, some art, some merch, and don't spend any money on advertising. I would say eighty to ninety percent of sales come through organic social. So the it's a really simple system. Like the the art gets posted to Instagram and Twitter and the bio link in both of those is the store. People, you know, if they discover it for the first time, they click on the store or scroll through Twitter. Um, wrote, um, worked with a lot of people who've been through the courses to write case studies. And those do a great job of educating people who come in organically on, you know, the types of people that have leveraged the content in the courses to build things. So, Those case studies on the store get a good amount of traffic and that feeds into products and then run occasional organic promotions, which are responsible for decent spikes in revenue. So that'll be milestones like, you know, um, the account has reached X number of followers or holidays. Um, there's, there's definitely an organic, um, there's an organic flywheel where the floor increases slowly with time, but the real big spikes in revenue still do because we're not doing paid advertising do rely on these mm-hmm. timed promotions and incentives and getting people to act in a very noisy, crazy world. Um, and, and paid advertising is something that so many of my friends have uh, tried to encourage me to do, but there's just some, resistance there for whatever reason uh because one we haven't needed it so far and two it's just such a interruptive thing that it feels like it might not be consistent with the way uh the brand is working now but it's all about execution so not writing anything off um but email is a big focus for this year and seo um like just um The things that don't rely on a stroke of creativity happening on a daily basis, I definitely want to keep that that as a part of the business, but building up the floor as well. So we're um, recent ConvertKit uh, customers and building out a bunch of different experiments on there too. So excited to get that rolling this year. Nice. That'll be fun to dig in on. One thing, just as I was going through uh, or like
1: revisiting more of your Twitter feed that stood out to me, and it goes back to the constraints. That's interesting, right? You talked about the constraint of the visual style means that no matter what I do, someone will recognize this. You know, Mm -hmm. like, oh, this is visualized value. This is Jack, you know? And just because we have, like, the slightly pixelated, you know, like, that exact font, that look on a black background. And so when I come across it, you know, and I come across all your stuff because I follow you, you know, right? But you see it in a thread and you click into it because you know it's going to distill some great concept down. But you use the same style for like your Memorial Day sale, which is, you know, really all you're saying in this graphic is like, hey, there's a bigger discount on Friday. The discount decreases over time. But I'm trained and everyone else is of like, oh, this is one I know exactly who's running the sale, you Mm -hmm. know, And, and two, I'm expecting that there's value in the graphic that I click on. And in this case, there is it's just that you have to like it's another step away and so it's fascinating i believe that your ad for the target market works significantly better because of the constraints that you put on it Um, because i'm trained to opt into that is that side of it intentional as well
0: yeah i think one of the fortunate things about it is the transparency in the tactics used to grow the business are like demonstrate the value proposition of the product itself, if that right. makes sense. So there is this this layer of the more effective market organic marketing techniques that I can test and prove. the The better the content in the products becomes, so you have this, um, which would not be the same if you're selling like physical merchandise, for example. Right, you can run really clever ads, but those ad mechanics aren't part of the product that someone is buying so you kind of have this double layer of proof where i'm trying to uh test and document things that work for growing internet businesses and in that practice uh you kind of get proof for the fact that these things are working by making your purchase it's kind of a a meta idea but it, it's been a, that's been a really helpful part of the story is just being totally transparent about it and um, yeah like willing to fail in public so you don't have to on some of this stuff too right
1: there's an interesting point about audience selection that is in there and I think I first realized this when maybe paying attention to uh, DHH and Jason from Basecamp um, it was sort of the thing of like, wait, they have a product and the more they talk about how they build the product, the more it drives sales for that. And on one hand, you're like, oh, that works for everyone. But if you break it down, like it actually doesn't work for everyone, right? If I run a pool cleaning business where I, <laughs> right, you know, right. that is my agency, that is my service. And I'm out here talking about, here's how I built that business. Those are two very different audiences, you know? The, the other audience is people who want to start pool cleaning businesses or maybe those who want to clean their own pool, I guess, mm-hmm, you know, you yeah. can have that, but then you need to go off in the info product world and you do all this other thing. And so it's, it's very different. And the thing that I love about my business and you have the same advantage is I can talk about how I run the business and the people who care about that are also the people who would buy products and be customers of the business. And so if you want, to like build for longevity and you enjoy building in public, then it's one of those things to make sure that there's significant overlap between those two groups. Because I think we assume that most businesses have that. And the reality is I think only like 10 or 20% of businesses uh, actually have that audience product fit.
0: Yeah. 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 Spot on. And it would end up in you building two different products, right? You have the, the productization of the service as a secondary business. I read this great tweet yesterday. It said the dog that has two owners dies of starvation. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: the idea that that's like basically building two businesses, it might not feel like it, but it is. And I think uh, it's very easy to get distracted by things like that too, where it feels like, Oh, it's just another revenue stream. Like, no, no, it's a totally different focus and a completely different empathy you have to have for, a, right. a very different type of person, right?
1: Well, so diving in on this more, an example that came to mind would be Nick Huber, who his Twitter handle is Sweaty Startup. His business, like his real core business, is buying uh self-storage facilities and you know building those out, getting the recurring revenue from it, and all that. He has just happened to, uh, as you said earlier, become a citizen of the internet and right. like go all in on that world, build, you know, a following of over a hundred thousand on Twitter. The more he talks about his business of how he built it, not, no one cares. No one who's like right. buying self storage is like, Oh, let me make sure that I get a Nick Huber like <laughs> storage Operated unit. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so he doesn't have any overlap there. And on one hand, um, you know, he's able to drive new revenue streams. He's able to meet lots of people. You know, he came out with a course and I, I think he shared that it uh, publicly that it made, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's incredible. That's two separate businesses. The interesting case is that it almost never hurts you to build that audience and to share. Cause he has this sort of overlap of another element to the self storage business is that he needs investors. He needs mm-hmm. people coming in and saying, um, you know, like being the limited partners and putting up millions of dollars for that. And so he has two different customers already. And and Twitter is very helpful for getting that second customer, not the buyer of the self-storage facility or the the renter, but the limited partner who's going to put in money. And so you get this whole range of things. And so I guess I say all that to explain that it's not one or the other. It's not binary. It's...
0: Yeah, sure. There's a
1: whole fluid aspect to it
0: yeah a lot of i think that's a great example where you have a you have overlapping utility like your ability to explain your depth of expertise as an operator Mm -hmm. does perform a core function in your like brick and mortar business too right if he never sold a course he still probably attracted multiple seven figures of capital into his investments by demonstrating that he knows what he's doing or he understands the mechanics of the industry and then because he found success doing that it's like well there's also people who want to learn from me too um i think there's an interesting i think there's an interesting insight in that that is that is maybe only uncovered in hindsight but these things that have some ulterior motivation tend to be Like the examples of people that I know were doing something either for themselves or to perform a different function. It wasn't purely a like, I want to, if you want to use the Nick Huber example, you didn't start that because you wanted to sell a course on how to build self-storage facilities. It was likely the investor motivation that got him started. So this business is running need to like demonstrate my expertise online. My original publishing of visualized value graphics was just to find service client service business clients. So it was just a lead magnet and it got big yeah. enough that it brought in more service opportunity that I could handle. So that presents a product opportunity to, you know, scale the um first scale the design element of the business by teaching people design as opposed to selling hours of your time to work on design so that's like a small nuance i think that goes back to what we're talking at the beginning of the conversation where the word selfish is you know you can interpret it however you like but if there is no like drive to produce this thing for some selfish motivation more often than not like just sort of get lost in the in the in the weeds a little bit, or you're, right. you know, you're just pursuing a metric that doesn't have a, uh, a direct relationship to the success of a business you already own. Like I could publish a hundred visualized value graphics. And if I got one message from somebody that said, can I hire you for consulting? That would have been a success as opposed to not having a consulting business, publishing a hundred pieces of content, growing an audience of a thousand people. And then what? So I think the service business is like a grind, and in the case of the the Huber example, you've built a different type of business, and then the internet is a, you know, just a, a, adds additional leverage or opportunity to that business. And then three, six, nine months down the road, you look at what you've built, and you're like, ah, okay, light bulb goes off. Here's another opportunity to serve the people that are, are um, already subscribed to your stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and it gives you that like success is going to take
1: so long to actually achieve, you know, uh, you're going to have to have the hundredth graphic or more before people start to right. say like, Oh, Oh, I see. This was all the same person. I saw it pop up, you know, yeah. like I get it now. And if you don't have that, the value coming back to you in some way, then you're going to give up at like, you know, graphic 14 or something like that. 100%. You're like, oh, I did it for the altruistic like just to create art you know yeah and 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 that will die out you actually need things you know (laughs) you need value coming back either into your pocket or to your ego or something else some feedback loop has to exist for sure so one of those feedback loops like this is ultimately a business show um so one of those feedback loops is money and so i'm curious you know courses are the primary thing are you up for For sharing some of the numbers behind,
0: you know, like what each of the courses earn each year at a high level? Yeah, we did uh, 1.1 million last year. Uh, And I say we, it's me and my wife. Um, There's there's nobody else involved. Um, The breakdown of that, I think it's about 60-40, build once, sell twice, and how to visualize value. Um, This year... It's interesting. The last year was kind of a crazy time for online education. And there's so much concentrated attention and this really huge shift in remote work. So right. this year um, we're still doing, we're still hitting good numbers organically. I'm running far less uh, intensity of promotion mm-hmm. and the products of, uh, you know, they've been, they've been in the zeitgeist for a little while now. So just have to be more creative about um, building up that floor and bringing new people into the audience. So we'll be on track to surpass what we did last year so far, but there's definitely, um, there's definitely a requirement to innovate on the marketing and the content side and uh, you know how to continue to build the audience and deliver value and also how to motivate yourself. Right. I feel like I've covered these topics in such depth and detail at this point, which may not be true, to everybody reading so you can definitely repeat the we can repeat the playbook and use the things that are working but there's also this element of keeping yourself entertained and interested and um when you i think you can feel the energy of somebody promoting something uh genuinely based on like how they talk about it and like uh going through those feedback loops in real time as the product launch as the product launches definitely creates a different type of energy than sustaining it for years and years and years. So, um, we're, um, yeah, we'll be on track to, and you know, I like to say double revenue this year. We'll see. Um, but yeah. we're in good shape.
1: The The point that you're making about the energy and it being something new, right? As we create things, we're looking for something new it can often get us into trouble because you can have something that's working and you're like, Oh, that's amazing. That's working now. Let's do something new. And yeah, then yeah, like yeah, this yeah. stops working for some reason. And you're digging in you're like, why is that not working anymore? And you're like, Oh, cause I haven't worked on it in three months. <laughs> you yeah, know, I haven't yeah. put effort into it, but at the same time, it totally comes through when we're following a personality driven business. If that person's heart is intended, like, You know, we followed them along when they were super passionate about it. They were building in public. They were sharing like, oh, here's how the course is coming together. Here's everything. There's that excitement there. That's an interesting challenge of like, what does it look like in year two or year five? um, Where it's like, I still care Mm -hmm. about this, but I'm just not passionate about it anymore. Do you have uh, either examples of people that you look to who have systematized that and solved that problem or your own things that you're thinking about?
0: Yeah, David Perrell is a good friend of mine and yeah. writer passage. Um is a great product. And I think it is probably it probably does have something to do with the level of specificity and um and the what's the word I'm looking for? Not the timeliness, but the like writing. So of the two visualized value products, let me backtrack a little while. The Build once, sell twice was really popular last year, but I think how to visualize value is going to be the longer term, um, the mm. longer term uh, asset or the, the the asset that's going to have the most value over the longer term. Because as behavior starts to change and people start like this starts to become more natural, right? And internet business is just becoming obvious at a certain point. We still have a way to go, but um, last year culture shifted so aggressively that. It feels yeah. almost trite at a certain point to keep explaining these these concepts that you know ev- everybody at least in the circles that I occupy on Twitter was talking about this nonstop for twelve months, and as the world sort of comes back to life a little bit, it's uh you know people have other things to do and different things to talk about and like interests that they weren't able to weren't able to pursue for a year maybe um so yeah, I think. Something that is more closely aligned with uh, the craft, maybe, that design for me is is that. So I'm never going to start producing on the visual side. Um, and that pursuit, I think, is, um, is eventually going to overtake that moment in time where we were talking about internet leverage if that makes sense like that that's all still part of the conversation but the visualized value brand is more about design than it is about like building replicable internet products that was one of those like it was actually an audience inspired idea to build build once sell twice based on how to visualize value being a product so my transition from service provider to leveraged information product architect was something that other people wanted to understand that weren't designers. So doctors, lawyers, uh, video editors, whoever, how do you take this thing that you're doing, spending a ton of time on and earning zero equity in and build products? Um, I think it's going to be valuable for a long time, but it does. Um, like I personally have more, um, more energy for design over the long run than that, if that makes sense. Like once you've explained that a thousand times, the 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 content exists, go and find it. Whereas design is this thing where you could spend five hundred years, you know, perfecting yeah. it and iterating on it and you'll uh you'll see like tangible um, results show up in the craft as as you go. I
1: think for me, like I always I guess as my role has changed, you know, going from an individual like designer doing design work at an agency uh, for a startup, freelancing, you know, and then working through to selling products and, and all of that. And then up to, you know, like leading a 65 person company. Yeah. The now the skill that matters most is the ability to succinctly communicate complex concepts and do that repeatedly. And so that makes sense to me that, you know, how to visualize value as a product is one of those things that can apply even further. Whereas build once, sell twice, as amazing as it is, is like a deep dive on a single concept versus how to take it across everything.
0: Yeah. And I, I think for a different person that like, maybe the opposite would be true, but based on my personal like skills and, um, interests that's where your instinct has to kind of kick in and be like okay what are we optimizing for over the long term here and uh i think it's that and and what is our actual moat you know what what do we what do we do better than anyone or what can we do better than anyone given enough time and energy and mm-hmm. uh, i think design is is more that answer than um all of the different ways you can spin an education product around building online businesses because that that again goes back to our earlier point in the conversation which is like a lot of that noise has just reached deafening pitch at this point and um competing in that world is just not something i'm i'm very interested in quite honestly how do you think
1: about new courses versus continuing to grow um like the the two that you have you know like I've sometimes explained this as like strip mall versus skyscraper. You get, um, more retail space, right? In each case we have, we have more retail space that we can rent out, you know, any of that, but like, are you building a whole bunch of things and doing urban sprawl or are we taking one thing and like scaling it 50 stories tall?
0: Yeah. So I, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll, uh, maybe someone will quote me on this incorrectly in years to come, but I feel like I've put almost everything I know in those two products. Like it took 10 years of work to get the experience that went into those products. So it feels like you you can, can, you know, what I learned in the last six months can go into those and iterate on those. But is there going to be some highly specific thing that I stumble across that I think is worthy of designing a new curriculum around? Probably not. And that's another reason why, the, the another reason why the um, marketers doing marketing feedback loop is like ends up in you sort of producing these products that dilute each other in some cases. So, if you have like fifty SKUs as an education business, that to me is like that kind of dilutes my objective, which is help people come become better communicators. Do Build once, sell twice, and how to visualize value need to exist separately? Yes, I think so. Um, Mm -hmm. But is there, like, nothing pops in my mind right now, or I think, oh, I could, like, design another curriculum um, based on this huge set of experiences that I have that I haven't already covered that that right now that doesn't exist.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And so not forcing it, because I think a lot of people would look to maybe the interest waning in a... In a project or like that that initial motivation, or they would say something like, "Oh, I want to double revenue next year, so let me double the skew count
0: right um, right right
1: and that that results in a whole host of problems
0: yeah and it's a it's a much uh, like exactly it's like the short term solution to a long term problem, and you're diluting the work you've done to the point where someone visits your website it's like, well, which one of these is like it's very simple right now for me it's like you want to learn design or you want to learn like how to build a leveraged internet business or do you want to learn both those are your options right. versus <laughs> like the and and the curriculums of both of those things are way more principle driven than they are tactical so that's mm-hmm. another thing that isn't there's no need to go back and update them every time a product ships a you know uh a new feature because it's not talking about like, here's how to build a website or here's how to like run this line of code. It's here's how you should think about this problem or here's like a, you know, a mental reframe on an offline business versus an online business. That this insight may not come to fruition in the next five hours for you, but it's going to rewire the way you think about this to the point where, you know, you will have chosen different opportunities in 10 years' time. So, that that's also a a different way to operate or a different way to think about these things. And when you're competing against like get nine thousand percent ROI today, then uh, you know I feel like the last three months on the internet has been a very strange time for education products in particular because it's like oh well I actually have to like put the work in and the time and you know there's not necessarily going to be an infinite ROI on this thing on day one, that's uh, you're competing against a lot of craziness right now too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I'm curious who you look to for inspiration on two sides. One would be, you know, on the creative side, if anyone comes to mind and then the other would be like on the business side. If you think about the business of visualized value in two, three, five years, like um, who or which business is, is something that, is like inspiring and saying okay mm. if i can create my version of that
0: there are definitely most of the businesses that inspire me like nobody's ever heard of so like the um i actually went to coffee this morning with a guy who runs a a plugin for uh poshmark it's like uh okay this 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 tool that um helps Poshmark buyers make more money, essentially it has all these different features and it runs purely on Google ads, SEO, and he's never had a customer support phone call in his life. It writes like writes emails back and forth, but has a, like, spends eight hours a day with his family has built this product where he just goes in and, you know, dials it in every couple features a week. And, um, yeah, just has a ton of time to himself. The, I get, I, you know, I get in the trap sometimes being like, Oh, what if you built a massive, like a massive media business or a massive, uh, software company? Maybe that, maybe there's time for that. We, we just had a baby three months ago. So, uh, right now it's like time optimization over everything. Yeah. And, um, yeah, there's certainly people I admire on the thinking front. Naval was massively instrumental in, uh, like shifting me and, uh, direction of technology, uh, Brian Norgaard, great guy, product, uh, thinker, um, David Perel, who I mentioned, Anthony Pompliano, like there's just, some like killer content producers, like that guy's an absolute machine. And, uh, yeah, yeah, there's, there's so many, there's so many, uh, so many brilliant people. I think the amazing thing about the time we live in now is, is, uh, you can just build such a unique business. And uh, I've always found that like trying to emulate someone else's model has got me in trouble. So I've, I've seen yeah. like somebody, somebody, you know, being successful with some specific mechanic, like oh, I can emulate that. And then it's like, no, wait a minute. There's a reason I didn't arrive at that because it doesn't fit with like what I'm interested in or what I'm good at. So that like introspection of figuring out like um what gives you energy and what you can sustain is far more uh at least for me has been far more um instrumental than saying i can i can emulate that tactic and see how it works um yeah the the idea that visualized value graphics are sort of disc like uh when inspiration strikes, you can make one and post it and it leads to business results as opposed to having a st- structure like a cohort based thing and show up five nights a week to teach something, for example, because there is there are plenty of monetization opportunities that exist that just don't fit the way I, uh, I like working.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what, I was going to ask, is there an example that comes to mind of where you borrowed someone else's? or when to borrow someone else's strategy or, or mechanic and realize later this doesn't fit at all.
0: Yeah, so the cohort-based thing is, uh, is the perfect example. So I'm an investor in Maven. Do you know Maven? Yeah, I do. Um, and I started working with the founding team there. It's like the initial thing was like, I'm gonna do a 12-week uh, cohort-based course. And they have an incredibly talented team that work on the curriculum and help you structure everything. It's like, how do you engage the audience and how do you do this and how do you? And as I was going through that process, I'm just like, this is not me. Like I'm not like, some people are great at running like 15 consecutive sessions or two, twice a week for 12 weeks. I couldn't do it. And uh, I realized like three weeks into like building these things that it just it wasn't consistent with uh, what I'm about. And then recently I just start talking to those those guys again about running a course. Like, oh, I'll do a three-day intensive boot camp where I can get X, Y, and Z across. There's some pre-recorded materials and like I can deliver um what I know I'm good at in within those constraints as opposed to adapting to this uh to this format that was prescribed out of the gate. Um yeah, I'm sure you could make it work, but it's like if it feels like it's know 10x the amount of energy required to do something that other people do really really naturally that to me just feels like a um a waste of time if you have other options available at least yeah
1: yeah and that's good and you see these trends you know of like cohort based courses or, or anything else come and and then settle into like the natural like audiences or communities that they're a really good fit for um and so just being careful to not not adopt it just because like it's sort of like, um, I don't know if you, you know, there's sort of this wave of like Groupon and living social and all of that in the startup mm. community, or, or you'd end up with, uh, like fab.com. And I'm trying to remember like other ones of that time period where, or like when everyone was launching a mattress company as an example.
0: Yeah. 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 That's you know, a great
1: example. Yeah. And there's like a huge need for mattress companies right and it provides a real like and we have this stair mm-hmm. stuff in innovation we can we can ship them directly to people's houses all of this but that doesn't mean that everyone needs to start a mattress company
0: right, right <laughs> you know right. like probably not going to work people... out for everyone yeah, yeah yeah maybe only the people who deeply care about that and that is a good fit for them uh <laughs> it right. should go in that direction yeah i think some people like there are a few people i've met that are just like ruthless executors and that goes back to the like figuring out what you're like, it might not be the product that you're passionate about, but it might be like building a like system of like distribution or logistics and mattresses happen to be a great fit for that. It's like, it really is, or really was tough for me to like figure out what, um, what feedback loop I could do every day without getting, frustrated and it, it ultimately comes down to like that very specific type of design work and then the business model has to fit that as opposed to the other way around if you want to stay lean and small and all of these all of these you know internet citizen buzzwords that we throw around these days
1: yes we have lots of them well if people want to follow more of your you know your buzzwords and and no i'm just kidding um but everything that you do online
0: uh where's the best place to to follow you twitter is the best so um jack butcher and visualize value you'll be able to find everything else from those feeds sounds good
1: well thanks for taking the time to talk to me and uh it's fun. I I love following your stuff and I'm excited to see what the next year and many years beyond that hold for you.
0: Likewise, mate. Yeah, thank you for having me on.